Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. little out of the ordinary this morning. Y'all go ahead and have a seat real quick, but uh, stay there with me in Genesis chapter 1. Now, here's the truth. Uh, This chapter is far too dense for us to be giving it like a really good treatment this morning. So I almost want you to think this morning about like just clipping off mountaintops uh, from this. We've got something very specific that I want to cover this morning, and I'm going to start in the most depressing way possible. I I found this quote this morning that I was thinking, man, what rings truer for Advent than this? And then I went the exact opposite direction. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with a guy named uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's kind of like a public intellectual. He came up, you know, kind of through the halls of uh, physics and is a physicist. I think he's an astrophysicist, though I could be wrong. They don't let me know uh, those kind of degrees, what they're actually named, what they're all about. Uh, But that's what he is. He's kind of in that vein, and he is very much an atheist, and he has a worldview of an atheist. So uh, granted, his worldview is fairly dark, and we're going to be talking a lot about darkness so that we can talk about the light this morning, but here's what he had to say. He, he tweeted this in 2019, I think uh, probably uh, not the best timing right before COVID, like right before COVID, and he said this about the universe. He said, the universe is blind to our sorrows and indifferent to our pains. Have a nice day. That was his tweet. Like his worldview led him to a place where it was just like this, you want to know how dark I think that things are? The universe cares not for your sorrows and doesn't care a lick about your pain. Your life will come and go. The cosmos will know nothing of it. They will not be concerned for you. One day the sun will expand and envelop the earth and the entire universe will not know anything of not just your existence, but human existence or pain or all of the wars or anything it will care not for you. It's a pretty bleak and depressing worldview. I think we can all agree. But here's what I appreciate about it. I appreciate that it's at least intellectually consistent enough with his view that there is nothing except for this brief little tiny uh, glint of life that you have. And he just says, hey, listen, I've looked at uh, a million stars through a telescope and they don't care about you at all. Now, now, why in the world would I start there? Now, that's a really good question, and many of you might be like, yeah, why did you start there? We've got all these beautiful trees and, like, all of these things behind us that are trying to, like, usher us into the Christmas spirit. Why would we start there? And here's the truth. I wonder if maybe you have, like, a little bit of a vestige of what Neil deGrasse Tyson is talking about left just kind of in your life or in your heart, these kinds of questions. I wonder if you have ever wondered what it would be like to be in a universe without God. 
I, I, I guess that most of us have wondered what it would be like to be a, a part of a universe that was just a, a byproduct of chance and eons and eons of years and uh, just cruelty and chaos, just making and forming uh, different molecules and atoms into this thing that we very briefly called life. I wonder whether or not you've ever wondered those kinds of things. I wonder if it's something that maybe you're even struggling with uh, today. I wonder, uh, one thing that I've heard a lot from Christians recently has actually been that they've been questioning their faith. Just had a lot of, you know, different questions about the reality of what we say that we believe in the gospel and just wondering whether or not all of this is true. And there's just a sense of a little bit of darkness that like accompanies that. What what I also know is, and and maybe you resonate with this too coming into the season, is, is that this is a season where you believe the right things, but in terms of a presence, there's not really been a presence of God in your life, or not a felt one, for a very long time. I was talking with uh, one of our members this morning about that very thing. I wonder if this is maybe just a season where uh, you remember uh, loved ones that you've lost, you are reflecting on a year that really wasn't all that great, and it just seems dark. You're in a dark time. It's not necessarily uh, depression, it's just an accumulation of a lot of things in your life that have been really hard. Here, here's what I would tell you, this last week has been that for me. Not, not necessarily depressive or anything like that, but uh, my wife and I and our kids, we went out of town last week, uh, had a really, really great week of rest. And I came home, and uh, many of you have already heard this story, I'm sorry, uh, but I was like, I woke up at 5.45 on Monday morning, started like emailing and like texting out like I was so excited to get into this week I felt like I had had some clarity about things that God was calling me to do this week and I was just energized and excited and by like 9 30 in the morning I was done like d-o-n like just by eight o'clock I was like Sawyer asked me how I was doing and the kinds of things that just like flowed out of my soul pretty dark pretty rough I was like, not in a good space on Monday. And and frankly, the week has been a little bit like that in little kind of blips. It's just been like these really fun, cool things to talk about, like organizing a wedding, which was really, really fun, and getting to have conversations about what God is doing in people's lives. Also, just with little drops of a lot of darkness in the midst of the week. And so I know that I've like painted a lot of really kind of bleak pictures there, and maybe you, that's not your brand of darkness. Maybe not any of these things is where you are right now, but... Maybe you just have your own brand. Maybe you know something that's been keeping you in a dark space. And I want you to know this. As we start this new uh, sermon series, The God of Light, I have a prayer for you. Andrew and I have a prayer for you. Our lead team is praying for you. And we are praying that God would shine his light on you as you ponder and celebrate the incarnation of our Savior Jesus. That's, that's like my prayer for you. And I, I really just want to invite you this morning, invite you in this season. If you're one of those people that it's just like, I'm not a Christmas person. I don't get down with the primary colors. Uh, they don't suit me very well. The uh, hanging up of lights and like all of the tinsel, it's not my jam. Santa's not my thing. What I want to do is ask you that you would lean into this season of incarnation. This one time, if you checked out like many years ago and just said, I'm not a Christmas person, I'm guilty of that, 
I want to invite you to lean in and to wonder and marvel, to play with and enjoy the mysteriousness of the reality of God as a God of light. That's what we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks. That's what I want for our church to kind of behold in some sense is God as a God of light. I've already said this, but Genesis 1 is really too big uh, for us to deal with in all of its facets. So if you come out this morning just being like, I wonder why I didn't touch on, on that thing. It's like, just it's too big. So we're picking uh, one thing that we're going to focus like a laser beam on this morning. And that is this, that God's word of light rules over every day. God's wonderful light, his word of light rules over every single day. And in order to kind of extract that from this text, we've got to understand a couple of things. We've got to understand that God's word of light is good. So like the first thing that we're going to be talking about is not all the darkness of Neil deGrasse Tyson's like worldview. We're going to be talking about light as a good thing. And the second thing is we're going to talk about light as a ruler, light as a thing that rules over things. And the third thing is uh, God's light as being something that is perpetual, something that just goes on and on, that that actually has a rhythm, a cadence, and an existence to it. So that's where we're headed this morning. God's word of light rules over every day. And in order for us to understand the significance of light, we really do have to start in a place without it, okay? So I know that it seems weird to start with darkness, but that's, that's where the Bible starts. Let's read it here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So what do we see there? We see that right from the very beginning, God creates things, and the earth was void, it was without form, and darkness was actually over it. God had not allowed light to enter in. He had not spoken light into this existence yet. So there's a lot of things that we can kind of try to want to ask of this text. We, we can want to ask like, hey, when did all of this happen? That's like one of the things that like occurs to us most when we go to Genesis chapter 1 is, hey, was this uh, several thousand years ago? Was this millennia, millennia ago? Here's what I'll tell you. I don't know. I have no idea. But you want to know the thing that I marvel most about? is that in the beginning, God was. In the beginning, God. I mean, we so often just like read the complete sentence of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. And we take that whole thing together and we miss the fact that in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. For, for those of us who just struggle with a lot of pride and self-centeredness, self-focus and everything, the very beginning, the issuance of the word of God tells us that in the beginning, from the very beginning, from the moment that there was even a concept of the universe that we live in, God was. And, and more than that, God was the one who created it. So I don't know about any of that, but what I'm astounded by is that God was already there. And God creates these heavens and earth. And what we find out about that very initial uh, world was that it was a watery world. It was, it was kind of a, like a chaotic mess. It, all of the waters hadn't yet been formed together in one place. Uh, there wasn't a grouping together of land. It was just this kind of planet with a lot of water on it, but you wouldn't know that. Why? Because it was dark. 
There, there wasn't even enough light for like a distant bright shining star to like gleam off of the surface of the water. It just was dark. What, what we can get from this is that when the Bible says that it was formless, that it was void, that it was dark, that it was probably a cold and chaotic and uninhabited and inhospitable place before God got to the task of starting to form it and to speak into it and to separate things and to fill it. So, so when we think about light, we can't help but start in the place of darkness, And so what God does is he sees this void, formless, dark place and he begins to speak into it. I want you to notice that all of this was before God said anything. And so for those of us who want to make a big deal about like how old the earth is, we, we see that God created the heavens and the earth and they were dark and, uh, and, and void and it was just kind of there and then God speaks and, and, and that's actually separated from this little tiny stanza that says, God speaks, and then there was uh, evening and there was morning that first day. What we're dealing with is a dark and fo- void and formless world, and then God begins to speak. What is the first thing that he chooses to do? What's the very first thing that he does? His word becomes light. And it is good. That's the first point this morning. God's word of light is good. God said, let there be light, and there was light. There's a lot of ways to like try to do a, a consortium and gymnastics routine around these very simple verses. But what we need to hear this morning as God's people is that God said something, and then it happened. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God is creating something with the command of his voice out of nothing, ex nihilo. I want you to just spend for a moment, like while we're talking about the incarnation, just the very fact that God is creating something with his breath, that that when God is so powerful that when he speaks, things like issue into existence from nothing, and that the very first thing that he did was he spoke and there was light. Now, you, you could do, you could probably write books about, like, why did he start with light? Why did he have to start? Why couldn't he take this world of kind of chaotic mess, darkness, not cultivated, and start doing other things? Putting animals in them. No, no, no. God knows, he knows best, and he speaks, and there's light, and there's light first. When he speaks, I want you to imagine the awesome power of all of this light going out from God, and it indicates that God's light illuminates earth immediately. When he speaks, and there was light. God said, let there be light, and there was light immediately. I get the idea that there was this kind of dark, void, formless thing, and God speaks, and immediately there is just an envelopment of warmth. For the first time in this void, formless world, there is warmth. You can see things. You can see what is there. God can apparently light up anything he wants, whenever and however he wants. Isn't that wonderful and good news this morning? You might, you might be tempted to think that I'm just talking about it in a physical way, but I really do mean that when God speaks, there is light in things. And we can take it in the literal, which I think is true, that he literally spoke and there was literally light. But here in one moment, we're going to talk about how God casts light into wherever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. 
not just in a physical way, but in a metaphorical and spiritual way as well. Verse 4 says this, God saw that the light was good. So he doesn't just speak light into existence. He, he uh, creates things that are good, that the quality of them are beautiful. The things and the effects of the light are good. Nothing that he creates at this point is going to do any wrong. There's not going to be any sin in this light. There's not going to be any darkness in this light. God took pleasure in his good work of lighting up this world of darkness. And when he speaks, God's light floods in, it warms up, it displays, it illuminates, it gives us the space to see what God is doing. God's word of light is good. But just because we can enjoy the idea of God's good light does not mean, or under, uh, mean that we understand the purpose or meaning of what he is doing here. So the second point this morning is that when God creates this light and it is good, that God's light actually rules over something. Where am I getting this? Verse 4, read it with me. And God said that there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. He called the darkness night. What, what do we see here? We see that God is actually starting something. He's separating the light from the darkness. And that as God decrees that the light is there, the light is actually ruling over something else. What is it ruling over? It's ruling over the darkness. The darkness that preexisted it is being cast away. It's going away. You can study physics and know that this is always true. Where there is light, there is no darkness. You, you put light onto something, and darkness is not there. The light is good, and it's separated from the darkness. Wherever light is, darkness cannot be. And here's what I want for us to get out of this. The purpose, the meaning here is that there is order. So in the midst of this formless and void world, there begins to be order. Light is separated from the darkness. Light is not allowing the cold and the inhospitable, the miserable to continue on. He's creating a place for life. And so he sends light on it and light rules over the darkness. There is an order inherent here that we would do well to take note of. God is doing something. He's accomplishing something, and he's doing it with light. God's good light is forming the formless. It's filling the void. It's illuminating the darkness. And what we see is a God that is very, very purposeful. In the midst of whatever darkness you might be in the midst of this morning, I want you to know that God is very purposeful in where he chooses to put his light. God is creating and cultivating and filling and forming with and by his light. So when we start with this, we can know something about even our own experience, not just some distant creation story, but something about our very own lives. God is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. 
Go down the page with me from uh, chapter 1, verse 4 to verse 14. I want to read this just so that we can understand some of this idea of God creating order. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be there for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning on the fourth day. Can we agree here that God, God's word of light is good and that God's light then rules over things? It, it creates and fills and forms and, 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 and warms and illuminates. And it does all of this in a distinct manner, separating. And it gives things like signs and seasons, days and years. What, what we see here then is that creation isn't dumb or capricious or blind or indifferent. Why do I mention that? Remember what Neil deGrasse Tyson was saying in the very beginning? He was saying that it's all just a chaotic mess. That all of it by chance is forming things that really have no point. That even in the midst of whatever pain there is, whatever disorder there is, that it just is. And that there's no purpose behind it. But what we see in creation is that God has a purpose and an order. He's creating things in a story. He's trying to build something up, not just create something that's going to eventually dissolve into nothingness. God is doing something. He mindfully made the light and he lighted the world up, and he did it for us. He did that for you. It's really easy to read this set of verses and think that God is just doing these things out here, and they really don't have any connection to me many thousands of years later. No, that's not true. We're sitting in a room, such as it is, with light in it. It's much better than if it were dark. We will go outside and we see this greater light that warms the earth, that creates foliage and flowers and all of this beauty, that we get to see uh, paintings bathed in light, that we get to see architecture lit up in particular ways. God is a God of beauty, and he does it all here in the very beginning by issuing light. What a majestic and amazing thing that it is that God has done. God's light rules. Lastly, God's light is perpetual. Verse 5, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. This is something that uh, from uh, the very beginning, right after that, when God speaks, there starts being evening and morning every single day. The, the light doesn't have like an absence of purpose. It's actually creating a rhythm to the world. There is not only order God uses it to actually create days and seasons and months and years. Light is not going away. There's some sense that like, okay, if God can speak light into things, maybe he can command back the light. 
Maybe at any one moment he can uh, pull back the light. We even get to see this on the day that Jesus was crucified, that there is this sadness in God and he actually covers over the sun, that there is darkness at the moment that his son is crucified on a cross. Maybe God is capricious. Maybe he'll withhold, maybe he'll take back the light. But what we see here in the order of creation is that he gives days, predictable days. He gives evening and morning, the first and the second and the third and the fourth and the the fifth and the seventh day, and we get it in perpetuity forever. You can count on getting up tomorrow morning and the light of the sun actually warming the earth. How long would it take before the uh, earth just froze over if there were no sun? I, I have no idea, but what I can tell you is, is that we are reliant on God, and he creates predictability. I mean, he is so gracious to give us his light that you don't even think about the sun rising tomorrow. You don't think about whether or not you will have enough light from the moon to be able to get somewhere. You don't, have to, you don't have to wonder whether or not the electricity tomorrow is going to provide a way for you to do your job. You assume it. God is so good, and he gives us this light, this perpetual light, and it is actually great and wonderful news. What if God had spoken his light into the world briefly and then taken it back again? It would be chaos. There would be death. But instead, we see that this light is called day and it continues every day. God made two great lights and he gives them to us. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give us light and to rule and to separate God gives us his light in our lives every day so that we might rely on him in total and complete confidence. And, and, and here's, I want to make a, a transition, okay? We've talked about the light is good. We've talked about it ruling. We've talked about it as being something that is for every day, that is perpetual. But here's what I think that God is actually doing in Genesis chapter 1. Here's what I think he's actually doing. He's preparing a way for us to understand the light that he would send in Jesus Christ. I, I don't think that it's by accident that light is the first thing. And I don't think that it's only practical the way that he sends it. I'm convinced that God begins with a word of light that rules over every day to teach us something far deeper to teach us something about what his plan has always and will always be. I want for us to uh, transition into Christmas mode. Turn over to uh, Malachi. Malachi is the chapter right before the New Testament. Malachi chapter 3 says this. I'll, I'll, I'll read it while you're turning there. The promise to God's people right before hundreds of years of silence is this. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Well, what is that all about? Do you know what that's about? He's talking about this messenger that's coming. If you flip probably one page just over to chapter 4, Malachi says this, and these are the final words before hundreds of years of silence, before the coming incarnation of our Savior Jesus. These are the words. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go about leaping like calves from a stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under, your so- under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. When the law of the servant Moses and the statute and the rules that I command him at Horeb for all Israel, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." Let me ask you something this morning. Do you know what that's about? Do you know what those words written uh, so long ago are actually about? It's about John the Baptist. There's this prophet, Elijah, that's going to be coming and preparing a way for the light bearer, for the Messiah, for the one who is to come. I'm convinced that all of these things that are like bound up in this is Israel hearing uh, from a prophet that there is one who is coming who will bear the word and bear the light. But then, after hearing that, there's around 400 years of just total silence from God. I want to make a connection here for us. For those of us who are in the midst of seasons where we just don't feel the presence of God, where we feel in the midst of some kind of darkness, whether it's something in your family, whether it's a sin that you feel like you just can't escape from, whether it is the effects of a worldwide pandemic, whether it is the unkind word from a spouse, whether it is just tearing and laboring and feeling like there is no end to all of the work that is at home, whatever your version of darkness is, know that God promises things to Israel, and then there is hundreds of years of silence. And then God fulfills his promise. He fulfills his promise. Uh, he, he goes to this man named Zechariah who is there in the temple, who is bringing about worship for God's people, and God speaks to him and says, your son, your son is going to prepare the way for the great one, the one that I spoke about in Malachi, and, and uh, Zechariah wasn't immediately faithful in that, and so God gives him muteness for a time, and then he and his wife, they conceive, they bear a son, his name is John, he's the one. He's Elijah. He's the one that has been sent to prepare that way. And then in just an exclamation of both worship but also prophecy, Zechariah says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to the promise of our uh, Uh, mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. That's familiar language. God is speaking through his prophet Zechariah here, and he's saying, and you, O child, 
shall be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, pay attention to this, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of what? Peace. God is a God of light. His light is good. His his light rules. His light is for every day. And what we find, not in Genesis 1, but what we find here in the incarnation, in the sending of John the Baptist, who is going to be this prophet preparing the way, is that God sends his light again. But this time, it's not a spoken word. It is the word of God. He is incarnate. He is the light of God. John the Baptist is the sign of Elijah the prophet, the messenger preparing the way for the light. Jesus is the word of light that rules over every day. He is the sunrise. He is the light bearer. He is the light. Listen, here's what I hope during this season. I hope that actually all of the things of Christmas aren't necessarily a distraction. We, We always talk about all of this stuff, all of these gigantic, whatever they are over here. I guess they're ornaments, like being a distraction. Here's what I hope. I hope that the Spirit of God would co-opt all of these things that we have in our lives, all of the things that may even be like less than like perfect, to remind you that God is the one who has incarnated his light in the person of Jesus. What I hope is, is that this is a season that isn't dark for you, but that is filled with light. That's my prayer for you. That's what I want for you. That's what I want you to want for yourself. That's what I want you to want for your spouse, for your children, for the people that are in your discipleship group, for your families, for your friends. I want you to want light during this holiday season. During the first four years of our uh, church plant, I would always drive into the sunrise as I would head towards our gatherings. And um, at that time, there weren't a whole lot of people that were a part of like set up and tear down or, you know, whatever else. And so I got there early. I always went early. I loved being early. I loved serving. I wanted to see uh, our church plant grow and foster, but I would always take this overpass kind of getting off to go to the place that we used to meet. And I would always be, during this one specific time of the year, I'd always just be aimed at the sun. And and it might sound cheesy, but the thing that I'm asking you to do during this season, as cheesy as it might be, is to think about that light. And what, what I did was I always remember thinking, I'm driving sunward. I'm driving sunward. I'm driving towards meeting with the Son of God. Is he in every day? Of course he is. That's part of this message is to tell you he is for every day. But man, it was really helpful for me to see those things and just practice the presence of Jesus, to to yearn and to long for meeting with the Son of God and to know I'm driving sunward. What, What I hope for you is that God would redeem some of these signs and symbols and things about our culture during this season to remind you about light, to remind you of the light of Christ. Jesus is the Word. In him is life. He is the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. So I want to make, I want to make three very brief applications here today. 
There are many in the church today that are questioning the reality of the Bible and the gospel, many who are struggling with a lot of darkness, the darkness of the world, the darkness of their own sins. There are many who long to see the light because life has left them feeling formless and void and dark. And it may be that you are in a season where you just have not felt that presence recently, and I hope that that season would be this season. So I want to remind you of the three primary points here. God's word of light is good. If God says it, then it's true, and you can trust it to light up your world. So, so for those of us who are questioning the reality of our faith, many times we will go to the pages of Scripture, we will find things that the world is telling us are not true. We will find things that don't necessarily mesh with the worldview of the people around us, and there's a certain amount of peer pressure to go, maybe, maybe these words aren't true. Maybe I need to sand off, to shave off, to cut off little pieces of this, and what I want you to do is to know that when you are doing that, you are choosing darkness over light. God's word of light is true and it is good. Don't choose something else. When we do that, we might be even partnering with Satan. In 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 14, it says that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There are those that are trying to deceive us. There are dark forces in life that are telling us to sit in the midst of life. And what we need to do is to look at the word of light and see the sunrise. Second, I, I want for us to know that God's light separates, it forms, it rules. Will you submit to the authority of our light-bearing Savior? All of the authority under heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, and so just pray. Live in a way where you just go, I'm submitting to the light. I'm, I'm living in the light. I want Jesus as the light bearer to illuminate my heart where there might be sin, and I want to let him form and to fill and to lead and to rule over me today. Lastly, I want to remind you that God's light is for every day. A lot of times we wait, we want more, and what I'm telling you is, is that that day is here. It's not, it's not eventual. Here's one of the things that actually Jason Small and I were talking about right before the service. It was something that I've been thinking about a lot. I think that a lot of us want and really kind of require of God a supernatural experience of God's presence. We want and we long for those times where we feel really connected in with Jesus. We want him to reveal himself to us and for us to get some sense that he is here, that he is with us. And what I want to just very lovingly proposed to you today is that it's already here. We, we can be like Moses and want to see the shining face of God, but I want to remind you of something today. God sent his only son into this world. He gave you his son. More than that, he didn't just send him here. He actually placed him on a cross to die for your sins. And then he uh, promised the Holy Spirit. And then he sent the Holy Spirit, which if you were in Jesus, is living and residing in your heart. Then he speaks to us in his word. The, uh, there's a, some sense that I just want to ask as a Christian brother to you this morning is, what more do we want or require of God than he has not already done? He's 
telling us that he is here for us every day. He sustains every heartbeat. He gives every breath. He speaks to us. He lives with us. He gives us a community of other people to be around. Now, I love being jealous for the presence of God. I want to experience him too. I want to live in the light of Jesus Christ, and I want to feel it. But I also just want to call those of us who are waiting, who are wanting, who may in some sense be stiff-arming the uh, treasures that we already have in Jesus in the hope for some kind of experience and just say, don't do that. The light is for every day. God has sent us his light, and we have him today. In creation, God speaks light into a world of darkness and brokenness. In the incarnation of Christ, God sends the light of his son into a world of darkness. In him, we live and move and we have our being. He illuminates our souls, he renews our minds, he lights our paths. Indeed, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. So I want you, I want to just invite you this morning to believe that and to allow for God's shining face to shine on you, for you to know truth and to be illuminated in your soul. Let's pray for that. God and Father of grace, you are a God of light. You want light for us, not darkness. You want to raise your uh, sunshine on us, and so you sent your son. You want to uh, bring us into a kingdom of light. You want to keep us in the light. One day we will dwell in your city of light. Father, I pray that you would help us to know and understand that in the deepest of ways. And Lord, in your great kindness, would you help us to have a very worshipful Advent season, knowing that you provide everything for us in the incarnation. God, you are a God of light. You speak your light into creation and you send your light. Lord, help us live in that light as Christians. For we love you, we give you great thanks for all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.